Are we rolling? We're totally rolling. Amazing. Hey guys, this is Christina Hepburn, T of TNA Talk Sex, uh, episode 153, because sex isn't ever just about sex, as I always like to say every episode. Um, so uh, it is evening out, and I am sitting in the cozy den of Rye's apartment. And Hello there. Hi. Uh, Rye, W-R-Y. I'm chatting with you tonight because you do fire play primarily. Not pri- that's my primary interest. That's what we're talking you. about today. Yes, but you do a lot of things and you're very knowledgeable, so I'm super excited to be here with you. Oh, thank you. Most of my best stuff is on polytalks.com, and those are panel discussion groups that I've been running since 2012, so yeah. almost six years at this point. And it features authors and therapists and notables and people willing to share their experiences with a whole crowd of people. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, me moderating the conversation. And Yeah. So you're a speaker, an event coordinator, and a fetish performer. Yeah. I've been in the fetish scene for about 15 years now. What does it mean to be a fetish performer? Primarily, events book me to perform on stage and to entertain the audience with those performances. Sometimes with fire? Sometimes with fire. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a lot more resistance to fire performances since the ghost ship fire in San Francisco. Venues are real scared <gasps> about that, so oh. they really want to make sure not only that you know what you're doing, but that security is prepared and that there's people who know how to put out a fire if one starts. Yeah, well, that's smart. Yeah. But... um. May I ask that that event wasn't, was it caused from like a performer? No. It was just, no. just the fact that fire is present. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. It's just every, every venue in America is a little, little safer since that. Because there well, was that's... the Great White Fire in Rhode Island and then there was the Ghost Ship Fire. So everybody's <laughs> like, make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure you're prepared for the unexpected yeah, I told a friend that I was meeting you and, and he was, you know, he of course said, well, be careful, you know, the people, you know, they say they know what they're doing, but sometimes they don't, and, you know, true. how, how, and I said, well, I've, I've, you know, vetted, this is definitely an expert and, and in the scene with people who have been doing it and not to say that, you know, accidents can happen, of course, but sign my little waiver. <laughs> it's such a fascinating word, expert. Like, I know. I remember when I started doing Polytalks, I really didn't feel comfortable with that word. And it wasn't until years later that people kept calling me that, that I was like, okay, all right, I will accept your title. Oh, almost, yeah. Almost like the fetish scene itself. Like, you wouldn't call yourself sir or master just out of the blue. Uh, that's you know, something... You earn it over yeah. time. I feel the same way about doing the show. I mean, when we started, the idea was like, oh, I'm the layperson and I'm just interviewing. And then, you know three years in, we're like, well, let me answer that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, I'm going to add to that. Uh, you know, and all of a sudden you've got a wealth of information at your fingertips. Um, so I just want to tell uh, my listeners a little bit about why I'm excited to talk with you. I, uh, my little anecdote. So yeah. years ago, I was, um, I was in New York at a party in college. I had a friend who was really pushing the boundaries. She would host naked parties. And the idea was that they, I think this one had, it was no alcohol. It was really like being present. And, um, and we would sit around in a circle and you kind of talk about like why we're all there. And then, and then it'd be like, all right, great. Everyone dropped trout. Wee. <laughs> and uh, and I, I share all that because I think it, you know, to clarify, it wasn't designed to be a sex party. And people always ask, oh, but you know, did people have sex? And I say, well, yeah, the same way they do at normal parties. Like <laughs> you meet someone you like, and then maybe in the back room, someone's hooking up, but that wasn't the guarantee, right? It's like you're there right. and you're and you're meeting people, um, or dancing naked, or whatever. Uh, and it was very humanizing, the whole experience. Anyway, there was a woman there who was sort of did, like, circus fire performance. And, uh, and she said, hey, let's go out to the backyard in this house in Brooklyn and, uh, and do some fire play. And, I mean, I, for me at this point, I didn't even know that was a thing. Anyway, I saw, like, a couple people went up. She did some fire work on their back. I don't even know, you know, you know more terminology. It was probably fire dancing, I would guess. Well, she, no, she like, she put the like fluid or whatever that stuff is on their back and then. Oh, on the skin. On the skin. Yeah. And then yeah. lit up the liquid and, or what I, the goop and, and then put her hand over it. <laughs> yeah. The fuel, it depends on what fuel you're using and it tends to be fire dancers tend to use white gas, mm-hmm. although there's some variety and more of the fetish scene fire play tend to use alcohol. Rubbing alcohol. Yeah, okay. Well, how did... Okay, yeah. I, how did she protect my skin? She didn't... It's... Well, part, I think there was like a gel and then a... Go ahead. 
part of it's the nature of the fluid itself. You know, it's rare that the fluid is what's burning. It's often the fumes. But it depends okay. on what fuel we're using. Like with, with alcohol, which is what I'm most familiar with, there's pretty much two types that they sell in the store. It's either 70% or 91%. Mm-hmm. The other percentage is water. So the water is not burning ever. Right. And when you're using uh, a toy or a wand, it ends up being soaked with water at the end mm-hmm. of a play session. Wow. But what's burning is the fume of the alcohol. And so, so if you were to look at it really close, you would see the fire hovering above yeah so but but still if a fire is close to you it might burn you (laughs) yeah so as you can see i was really careful and asked a lot of questions before i did it (laughs) i was basically like that's awesome i want to do it and i uh and i i was nervous and i sort of hesitated and then finally i just shot my head up and was like me please please do it and so uh i i went up and uh and she just did it and i and my friend got this great photo of me posing you kind of you know, it's suggested that I don't have clothes on to light on fire, but but I, it's it's a great picture. I'll I'll make sure I post it for you all. But um, but what was fascinating to me was that after there was this sort of euphoric rush that yeah. happens. I felt kind of high after. Um, basically, she just my back kind of went up in flames, and then she ran her hand over it and was like, "Voila, magic!" Uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, and and then of course there was like the back was like kind of flush or like pink Mm -hmm. where it would be. So kind of that idea of like blood coming to the surface, the way that you're like when you get a massage, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, your skin will turn pink and, um, and yeah. And I had this kind of euphoria buzz after it. So I was like, that was really cool. And then I met you at a, at a party. I think it was a cuddle event. I think it was a cuddle sanctuary event where they were talking about consent. Yeah. And it was, uh, Jean runs Cuddle Sanctuary, and she was talking about ways that event promoters can make their events more safe, more consensual. Right. Yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, yeah, we had her on the show a while back talking about professional cuddling, and then it inspired me to become a professional cuddler. Oh, wow. That's... That, I know. That's a big influence. Yeah. I, I love her, praise her all the time, every chance I get. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, so when I met you, I said, you know, I really want to explore this more and talk about what that is. Um, so how did you get into it? What's your kind of your journey? It's been an evolution of all the other tools in my tool bag. You know, it, it, when it comes to fetish play and BDSM, my hands were the first tool. So spanking and all the different ways that you can use your hands, whether it be with breath play or scratching the nails and kind of these primal ways of playing. And eventually became floggers and other harder implements like a cane or a paddle or a baseball bat. I have uh, my trusty cunt bunter. It's covered in wood burnings of vaginas. Anyway. I don't even know. Wood burnings of vaginas? What does yeah, that like mean? Somebody, somebody burned into them in an artistic way. Wow, beautiful. Uh, these drawings. <laughs> I'll show it to you. Uh, yeah. We could post a picture of that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it just kind of, as I was adding more and more tools, electricity, uh, rope, next thing, uh, well, Fire seems cool. You go to enough fetish events, you go to enough burner events, you're going to see uh, fire play or what a lot of fire, fire dancers would call fleshing when they're using the flame against the skin in that way that you just described. They, yeah. they often call it fleshing. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you, um, do you feel like, uh, you know, and this is always a thing that, you know, we did a show a while back about BDSM and really breaking down that term. I feel like culturally it has like this trigger of oh violence or like that people really like pain and that's why they're doing it i loved um the conversation we had with our guest about uh kind of impact play and that it's not and role playing and kind of that sphere of it but i do you think that fire play falls into pain play or i mean i don't think of from my experience it wasn't really that or that moment wasn't it definitely falls under BDSM in general uh, in the sense that from what you're describing, you were definitely bottoming and they were topping in okay. that situation. Uh-huh. The rush you're talking about could have been from you submitting in that moment. You know, she really had your life in her hands in that right. moment. You know, it would fall under the category of edge play where the chances of death are possible. What? Like, <laughs> I don't think I even realized. Like it's Maybe so I did subconsciously. I mean, right. Fire is just that instant animal urge of danger. I'm going to die. Let's get out of here. You know, the far, fire alarms going off. Same trigger for for knives. You know, if you if, if you're using a knife and you're drawing blood, 
there's that sense of like there's going to be scars. I I might need to go to the hospital. I might die. Oh my god, I I have it's fine. knives are like. Anyway, I just I have this memory. I was in Tokyo. My long story. My sister lived there, and it was like after Hurricane Katrina. So I lived in Japan. Actually, oh, wow. I lived there twice. And I went to this like secret underground club with her, and like we met someone who wrote a book on Tokyo nightlife, uh, which was the best person to meet ever. Uh, but anyway, I'm like there was a performance, a stage performer. She got up. She was doing like this knife play performance, and and like these light grazings, and there was blood. Yeah. And then someone she went down to her nether regions, and I was just like, oh my god, no. I can't. I did a 180. I mean, I turned my back. I mean, I'm a cuddler. <laughs> anyway. I've had those moments, too. I I, uh, I have a needle phobia. It's pretty pronounced. I had a seizure once because of my needle phobia. Wow. But sometimes <laughs> I will sit there and stare directly into the void that is this needle play scene going on where someone... I was at a party over the weekend where there was some needle play, and mm-hmm. this this couple had never tried it before, and there was someone demonstrating to both of them Oh, this is how it's done. Here, you push the needle through now. Wow. I mean, and of course there is danger, but... Yes. I'm, yeah, I guess I'm thinking about how I really... I, I'm maybe more like in this in the spectrum like I love a little like I love adrenaline like I grew up skiing and I would just like race down the mountain you know going straight as fast as I could I I like skydiving I had an amazing experience with that I you know what I mean just sort of speed sports are really fun for me um so then I think of fire as like that that experience that I had and the fact that I was even willing to do it right and without thinking was like ooh, what a rush yeah it's that comparison to like the 90s extreme sports <laughs> is pretty apt you know, yeah, th- that adrenaline so. rush makes a lot of sense to people on, on many levels. And rather than thinking of it all as pain or pleasure, it might make more sense to think of the adrenaline. Yeah. yeah. And, and all the helpful. other uh, chemicals in the brain, the serotonin, the dopamine, all that gets very excited by the stimulation of the skin and also the, the way that you're trusting someone so deeply and the mm. intimacy and the bonding, the oxytocin from all that process. Yeah. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I think the... Um, I love that you brought that up. I mean, the, I think there's so much intimacy in it, right? And that's, what do I want to say? I don't know what you're saying about like submission and domination. I mean, I think that conversation is important to like remind people that that's actually at the root of it, I think. It's, I mean, is that It's a big part you? of it. Yeah, it's trust. Yeah. You know, if you want to get it outside of the BDSM language, a lot of it's trust. You right. Know, you're trusting me to do a certain thing to your body. And if I screw it up or don't know what I'm doing or if I am pretending that I know what I'm doing, then I'm responsible for that damage. You know, on some level, you are trusting that I know how to do it. And then what, it, what is it that you're trusting me to do matters a lot. Like, how informed are you? In, in, in your scenario in Brooklyn, you weren't that <laughs> informed, but you had just witnessed it. And seeing it, uh, seeing it is really understanding it on a certain level. Yeah, there could have been so much description. Wise words for everything. (laughs) I tell people that about cuddling, right? Like they, they're like, so are you, you know, are you a prostitute? I'm like, no, it's no, there's no code words. I'm just cuddling. (laughs) But, but furthermore, and it's not even anyway, uh, it's, it's, but I bring that up to say that no matter how much I describe it, I'm like, you can't know it until you feel it. There's, there is this experience that happens. There is an oxytocin high that happens. It's just is its own thing anyway yeah it's, it's, it's so like, seeing it is the is the remedy or the solution to inquiry it's one of the best ways to vet people also if you're talking about let's say you're meeting someone online for for this kind of experience whether it's fire or whether it's any kind of bdsm you might want to meet in a public place and witness the play happen where others can observe what's going on yeah, before smart. you're you're in private and that's part of the benefit of there being a culture and a scene where people have a certain level of reputation, they, they, they're on stage, you see what they do on stage, and be like, well, what you did on stage, I want to do that. That's what I want to do, instead of just trying to guess with language. And sometimes language is very limiting for these things. Like, try to explain a hug to someone who's never been hugged before. I, I'm going to squeeze you. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, why would that be good? I'm going to wrap my arms <laughs> around you and squeeze you. you know. <laughs> yeah, why do I want to be squeezed? You're like, well, let me do it and I'll show you. And what are we hugging? What part of me are we squeezing? I have, there was a great interview on NPR about like something completely not related. And this guy had a great analogy and he just said, look, I can describe the flavor of an orange to you all day, but until you taste an orange, you're not going to know what that is. And then I, you know, 
I, I used that analogy for Burning Man when I was talking to a friend who said, I just don't know why it would ever appeal to me, you know? And I said, well, you really don't know it until you do it. And that's, I mean, that's most things. It appealed to me the first two, two times that I went, but it's really lost its appeal recently. Hmm. Like I, I went in 2011 and 2012 to Burning Man. And I don't know, other things are higher on the priority list because sure. I've experienced it. Yeah, and, but you but you experienced it. And, and, you and sadly, it. I don't know if anything will ever match the first time that I went. Yeah, there, sure. There, there's an excitement and novelty in these activities, too, where this may be, you know, you you did Fireplay, what was it, was it six years ago, something like yeah. that? Yeah, maybe you won't do it again for six years. Or maybe you'll become very fixated on it and do it every six weeks. Right. Or more often, right? Mm-hmm. What is your thought there that just that idea of of being allowed to love something or I think move novelty on? is a fetish in itself. Ooh, yes. I might that I might have a passion for that. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to my show. <laughs> just dabbling a little here, a little there. I'm interviewing everybody. What else could I try? It's totally valid. I mean, there's there's something for for a lot of comparisons to food when I think of these things. I I would not want to eat the same thing every day, but some people love Having mm. an egg every single morning, that's their thing. You know, yeah. Well, you know. but you know, there's lots of articles that talk about um, how to keep a relationship healthy. And, and, you know, one of the things they tout in a very vanilla way is like, you know, make sure you're doing trips together. You're trying, you're trying new things together. So that could even be a restaurant or like little things or traveling somewhere for the weekend. Or, you know, they say like going skiing so you have adrenaline. I mean, it's... These are I mentioned those because I just remember reading this article, but I feel like it's all in that same ballpark of like, you know, to stimulate, to continually introduce yourself to new things is to inspire, is to grow. There's so many great analogies to pl- to apply here. I, I agree with your analogy that you just gave, but I might also apply art and mm. and how if you just sit down to make a painting for the first time, it might not be that great, but it's what you did. It's the best you could do. It was a self-expression. And it might take you years, uh, maybe a lifetime, to master that particular tool, that particular artwork. And every time you go down to paint something, it's not the same painting that you're making every single time. So even though it's the same tool and it's it's just you and the canvas and the brush, the results are different every time and you can always push yourself farther. Mm, Yeah. I, you know, I think it's interesting when you talk about trust, I find that I have maybe organically always had a very high threshold for trust. And I think about, you know, my best friend who I did acro yoga with back in the day and, uh, and, you know, she never wanted to be lifted. And I would just be like, wee, whatever, you know, <laughs> like just sort of this innate, like, until I see you fuck up, I'm going to trust you. Oh, wow. I know there's so but but I love what you were saying about these sort of access points for trust. Like, you know, there are there is context. It's like I saw this woman do it on a number of people. I mean, maybe it was three people before I went up, right? That's so That's quite a bit. Yeah. I'm like, maybe two, but I feel like it was three. And then I was like, please let me do it. Are you done yet? You know? That's often how it is when I'm hosting a fetish play area. It doesn't matter what the toys are. I, I do it a couple times a month um, where I'm, I, me and maybe one or two other people are in charge of of the area. And we'll do performances with our regular partners. Often mm-hmm. the first performance is to let everyone know this is what we do. This is how we behave ourselves. And uh, you also have a high level of trust because it's a regular partner. Like right. you have a vocabulary established. You're like eye to eye. Right. And maybe you even know that person's threshold more or less. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. In the established relationships, we're playing together so many times. The art of it all has become rather elevated. Mm-hmm. And the body language and listening for all the little sounds and being able to know what that means and, and how to respond to it. And then often it's inviting the audience to come up and play. Which is extremely risky for everyone involved. The chances of me making a mistake are pretty high in the sense that I don't know this person, so I don't necessarily speak their body language. Right. And so I dial it way back until I trust them and they trust me. And you trust them to communicate. Right. And and, and I was going to ask about, I feel like this is a great segue into like that idea of consent or communication, like that you have to develop that that safe word and you or I mean that's almost so simple but but that idea of like what is your threshold of comfort like I feel like I'm such a baby like I've been to the party where someone like flogged me with their deer skin you know whatever yeah. but I was like light please like me you know and and but it was fun right there's right. there's like levels and what does light mean even light you know might be too much for someone else it's it's 
and it has been the case for me sometimes. Sometimes the lightest I can throw a flogger is too heavy. And, yeah. and they wanted to try it, and they didn't like it, and they tapped out quickly. But typically, I'm trying to avoid a safe word. I'm trying to avoid anyone having to use it mm. and be able to fully relax into the moment and go at a pace where we are communicating mostly through body language. We do some of the, some of the steps in advance, but something like a flogger, if you know what you're doing and you start light and you check in, you know, I, <laughs> th- that, there's so many ifs and ifs and ifs on this one. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're playing with strangers. I might not even know their name. I might have had a 30-second conversation to cover the basics but there's What's, also can we like 30 seconds here i am like i'm okay i would love for you to play with me that's often how it starts okay so how experienced are you have you done this before no once well once someone you know okay lightly flogged me with deer skin all right so then we're going to take it real slow we only have so much time because there's other people that'll want to play and perform but we're gonna have to take it slow since i'm not sure what your limits are what we're not going to do is I'm, I'm not going to touch certain parts of your body. I assume that these areas, and I'll usually point to them, you don't, do you want me to touch these or not? You know, let's be clear. Okay, is it going to include spanking? Well, then I'm going to have to touch your butt, so let's right. make sure okay, that that's yeah. okay. Um, and like then, the visual, yeah, like what does it even mean? Yeah, like my nipples are super sensitive. Don't. Right, right. So good information. And and often by pointing, we can get clearer on that because <laughs> the person has a physical response. Right, yeah. They're like, oh uh, no, uh, you know. Oh yeah. What about your face? You know, things like that. What about your throat? Yeah. You know, if I put my hand around your throat lightly, is that okay? We kind of go through uh, based on what I've already done. So you've already witnessed part of what I'm doing, and then we're going through the quick, the quick most important parts that are likely to be a big problem. Yeah. Uh, and then the, a question that often gets left out is, do you have any health concerns or fractures Ooh. of a bone? Do you have any tendons or muscles that are really, really sensitive? Is there any part of your body that is got an injury? Do you have diabetes? Yeah, wow. Ooh. Do you have insulin issues? Like, are there any health concerns? Don't you feel like people about? need to have this conversation even when they're just doing like normal sex like hey I met you and we go home together like I have this memory of like someone who actually was you know probably some of the best sex I've ever had like a lover that is in my you know in my history books (laughs) and uh but I remember like one time having there was sort of like not a great communication on it I don't remember I gestured something and he was like oh you want me to choke you this thing right Uh and uh and and then he did, and I, and I kind of was like, no. And then I was like, oh, I like it. So I let it happen, but it wasn't really where I wanted it to go originally. Right. Um, and it, like, worked, but I was like, yeah, not my favorite. And I felt like there wasn't, it wasn't this sort of safe consent conversation. It was right. more like mainstream is like, oh, like, and then she wants to be choked. Or like, oh, yeah, I know people who are into this, you know, and, and just going for it. Yeah. In a way that's like, oh. S- sometimes... Or like maybe you do have some minor injury or like I'm thinking about the times yeah. where I've had like some little cut or I stubbed my toe or I'm bruised on my hip. Like just mind that. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I e- mean, is that even something like uh, if my cuticles have a tear in them, I might not want to finger you because of that. Ooh, interesting Be- point. Because that can expose fluid bonding in a way that neither one of us intends. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Didn't even think about that. Yeah, cuticles are really sensitive like that, and you can even get like herpes Whitlow in your cuticles. <gasps> so it can go both directions, whatever we're talking about. Yeah, um, sure. I was um I dated a, a female bodied person who doesn't identify by a female gender. And um and I was just like a bad a bad um lesbian because I can't cut my nails far enough back. And this was like a new thing I learned as dating a woman where she was like, you. Ha-, she was like, ow, ow, and I was like, really? <laughs> you have to. She's like, yeah, you have to cut your nails back. She's like, I do, and then, and it happens to be like a sensitivity for me to cut them back. Like it bothers my cuticle beds, so it's kind of this haunting detail in my life where I'm like, I'm a bad lesbian. Oh no, I'm a bad lesbian. <laughs> like I'm afraid to enter <laughs> any other woman now. <laughs> you can do gloves. Should work. I think, okay, so maybe that's the best way to do it. I should just adapt to a glove. Thank you for that suggestion. Gloves are pretty common. So I don't have to cut my nail back at all. Maybe a little bit. I I can somewhat relate to the sensitive nail bed. I just got a manicure over the weekend, and I do that every three or four months. 
but I'm trimming them way back far. Can I touch? Sure. Okay. Okay. I feel like like I feel like I almost would have to go shorter than this. Do you think that's that's no, good? Okay. Definitely. Definitely. Well, not touch mine. Like that's like just yeah, too much. I mean, I can see them. It's hanging over the edge of your. I don't know. <laughs> You'd have to see. You'd have to see. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, a I glove. take vitamins. You know, I have firm nails. <laughs> maybe a latex glove would do it. It's hard to say, but it's so commonplace too. There, there's been. Are there? What I wonder, like silicone-based gloves or something, where there's sort of like a slicker kind of. Yeah, there's all firmer. Different I'm I'm super jazzed that you just said that. It was like solution done. <laughs> yeah, and it's. I, I think no one has to lose in this scenario. Like if you. I'm going to call her and be like, I got a glove. We're back on, even though we're not dating. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah, exactly. Like, we just need to check this off the list to remedy that awkwardness from the past. I feel like those kind of solutions are so much more welcome in non-heterosex. Like, yeah. They're just, just, oh, that works. Let's do that. As opposed to this kind of hemming and hawing over condoms even. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, and it's like, how did it become that way? I think because it's considered the norm, there's just this idea that there's like a, a collective consciousness around like, this is how sex goes. Like, we don't talk about it because it's like, oh, I'm gonna, like, there's certain beliefs that people assume we all have, but more and more we're finding that we all actually have very different ideas if you take two minutes to talk at all. Yeah, I, I really like the, the term that's becoming popular right now, GSM, Gender and Sexual Minorities. And the nature of that concept is is already that it's a sexual and gender-based culture. And most of mainstream culture, as much as it sells sex and it sells sexy, it's not really a sex-based culture, per se. Yeah, I was just thinking about Justin Timberlake's performance at the uh, Super Bowl mm -hmm. and how he was coming down the hallway and it was like, uh, and then the lights go on in the stairwell and it was all women. And I thought, wouldn't it have been so fun if it was just like a blend of professional dancers of men and women and they did these little choreographed like rubs or whatever together, but like not commenting on gender. And it was just, it felt almost boring that it was just like, I'm a man, so I've got all these women. Yeah, that's the Super Bowl for you. I mean, our expectations know, for mainstream, you know, let's appeal to 100 million people at the same time. Our expectations are so high. You know, I'm, I'm always disappointed uh, by these kind of issues in the mainstream. It's never going to be. I don't know. But I, I think it is getting more diverse in that public sphere where, you know, I guess it's, is, it, is it his brand? No, but I just mean this idea of like, I don't know. Like, to me, it's not even saying oh jt's into men and you know like and that right. somehow makes him lgbtq like poster boy it's like just this idea of play and fun and that it didn't need to be like it like to me it didn't need to be genderized and by choosing to have only women in the hallway like it made it very like aggressively like i am man and i conquer woman <laughs> yeah they become they become objects on the stage with him yeah because whereas, it was all women whereas like when like Prince, then they become numbers instead of that yeah. de that detail. Like it was missing detail. It was like ladies. It's yeah. interesting because when Prince performed at the Super Bowl, he had the twins that were dancing, mm -hmm. and it didn't feel like that because Prince himself is already so gender fluid and and uh, questioning and and edgy regarding just open mindedness to all this stuff that. It didn't feel they didn't feel as objectified as what you're talking about with JT. Yeah, I I wanted to ask you. Oh, like we were just talking about kind of heteronormative sex and like how it's all changing with like GSM. I was curious about your like kind of your journey into this. Like, do you have memories of kind of being more inarticulate, and then how did you get exposed to this? You know, and like and kind of, and develop your Absolutely. vocabulary. Yeah. Do you have embarrassing early stories? Yeah, I mean, like everyone. I mean. I think where where the path got strange for me was when I was six years old, and me and my best friend, we would ride our bikes across the neighborhood to make out with these two little sisters. They were five <laughs> and six. We were six and six. It was me and my best friend, the two sisters, and we would get shirtless, all four of us, and we would make out on the bunk beds. And then at some point, we'd yell, swap, and we'd make out with the other sister. <laughs> Oh, my God. And uh, we would call it playing 90210. Oh, my God. It's so funny. I had I was obsessed with um, New Kids on the Block. I had the Joey Barbie doll. 
And yeah, nine, I feel like my best friend, she was a few years older than me and she had a 90210 poster. And, uh, and my earliest memory, I remember we also like, it was like we would take our clothes off and I'd lay on top of her. Yep. And then we would like, I think we just like kind of like mouth, like not, it wasn't like a tongue kiss. We just like press our lips together. I remember the exact moment. I was five. That she first put her tongue in my mouth. And I was like, what are you doing? It was so weird because it was just kissing with, you know, the smooching. Yeah, and I kind of remember like breath. It's like breath and lips. Like that's like my memory of it. Very breathy. Tongue went in my mouth. I'm like, why? Why are you doing? Well, that's what they do on 90210. (laughs) Oh, okay. And it was was that simple. That's what they do. Oh, God. It wasn't enjoyable, but that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, And then I felt my Catholic guilt about that for a couple decades. Wow. And that yeah, like don't tell anyone. I mean, I had that feeling forever. I mean, I feel like my podcast was the first time that I shared it and was like, "Hee hee naughty, is that creepy?" <laughs> <laughs> I've sh- I've shared it a few times now on different podcasts and other things, sometimes in more detail, but I I prayed for forgiveness over that incident. Yeah. It was it was a sin that should have waited till marriage. Uh and and at one point I did want to become a Catholic priest. Wow. And there's still that side of me. I'm just preaching from different books nowadays. Sure, sure. But I, you know, I think that's always interesting too. I, you know, what, what's in that when you're exposed to like, I went to Catholic school as a kid and, mm-hmm. um, and so there is a piety and a reverence, right. And a meditation in those worlds. I mean, all of that is a cultivated spirituality that yeah. I think that I think this world that you are in now offers as well in a different way. I think there's a lot in common, uh, religious ecstasy and sexual ecstasy and flagellation throughout the <laughs> history of, of the church. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I, I read about it in the history of the church and now I'm a master. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a master. I actually took a vow to never take a title. Oh, wow. um, back in the earlier days of me exploring BDSM, I started exploring it when I moved to L.A., uh, I was 18, it was 2002, and an 18-year-old straight white boy isn't really welcome anywhere except for, for a frat house. You're like mm. Nobody really wants us around. Um, and the only place that wanted me around were the 18-plus goth clubs. And there were quite a few of them in 2002. It was a real heyday in L.A. I think, I think BDSM and the goth culture had their heyday in New York in the 80s and 90s. And and the 90s, L.A. started to really take off. But early 2000s, it was a special era. And uh, I was a voyeur then because I still had a lot of Catholic values. I had just given up my dreams of the priesthood. And I was ready to watch and take it all in. And I remember the first time that I saw a almost naked person being whipped in a club. And it stuck with me. And I just kept going every month, every week that I could. And a lot of them had free entry before 10 o'clock or something like that. So it was cheap, and I was allowed in. I was going to be there, and it was going to be interesting. It was going to be something to see. Yeah, something to learn or understand. I think that's one of the big differences between me and a lot of other doms is that I was observing for five, six, seven years before I ever laid wow, my hands really? on Wow, really? That long? Yeah, because I had this hesitancy about everything. I was hesitant about sex. I was still a virgin till I was almost 21. Okay, but at that point, do you feel like you were getting the good information about like the stuff we're talking about or like the fact that, you know, a show where I interviewed someone about what is BDSM, it's like, were you able to... I guess what I mean is like you're in the club, you're watching it, but are you getting that understanding of what I describe as like, wow, like to talk about impact play was so insightful for me that like certain levels of arousal allow for more intense impact, right? Rather than that idea of like someone wants to be, you know, hit really hard, like immediately off the bat. And I feel like that's how we mostly view it in mainstream. There was a lot of learning, but there was also a lot to learn in that yeah. early era, that first well, yeah, maybe and I feel five like, years. I feel like almost like thanks to that era, there are books and literature and communication courses as a result. No, or not result, but I mean the people who are leading that community. Yeah. Really, like it's easier to find that stuff now. Well, you, you have to give credit where it's due when it comes to that. And you, you actually, especially for American culture, you've got to go back to the 1950s. And the post-World War II era when, when men came back from the war 
And you have to figure that there were a certain percentage of them that were alternative sex-minded, whatever that meant. They weren't all white picket fence back then. There were at least a million of them. You know, figure 12 million went to war, a million come back or so, ready to do some interesting stuff. And that military mindset carried over into the gay leather daddy scene. And that mixed with the biker scene. There's a book called Different Loving that has about 50 pages on this early history of how the military culture of that era and the biker culture united under a certain outlaw mentality. And that outlaw mentality carried over in BDSM for decades, still somewhat to this day. You know, even right now in L.A., you can consent to me punching you, but that doesn't mean that I won't get charged for assault. Because legally, it's still assault. Like, if, if, if I ask you, even with the recording, would you like to be punched in the face? And you say yes, I can still be charged with domestic abuse and assault. doesn't matter that you consented. So hmm. there's this outlaw mentality built into BDSM that makes it very difficult to have these conversations when you're looking for some kind of authority. There really is no authority, and we're creating it together. Well said. Well said. That's just a, yeah, I've... That was me really truncating like a whole book. <laughs> Go read Different Loving. It's 500 pages. So there's a lot yeah, exactly. in there. No, just, just powerful, that idea of creating a vocabulary and rules together, right? Yeah, and there's different subcultures I mean, that disagree on this stuff, vehemently disagree. Right. You know, e- even in just different terms of consent, you might have something like, well, it's, it's a bit on, a, on the way out at this point, SSC, safe, sane, and consensual. That, that's been around for 30, 40 years, I think 30 years, um, but it's on the way out. And there's other concepts like Planned Parenthood is pushing the fries model. I don't uh, even know. What is that? Uh, it, it came out maybe about two years ago. It's uh, fries. So freely given, <laughs> reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. Oh, very good. Very good remembering all that. And you can Google that. It should come right up. uh, Planned Parenthood fries. But I feel like in a way that was what you just did with me in that like 30 second sampling of like someone who wants to try something new and they're excited and you are, you know, you're at risk or or you're, you know, you want to detect like what their safety space is. To, To a degree we did that. We talked mostly about me trying to understand you, but we didn't really talk about what I'm going to do to you. All we talked about was a few absolute limits where we know I should or should not do a thing, but we didn't get into, am I going to leave a mark on your skin? Okay. You know, there are different degrees of burns, first degree, second degree, third degree. First degree burn is kind of what you described a little bit where your skin gets pink, mm-hmm. maybe like a sunburn. You don't want to get into second degree. That's typically where marks and scars. Wow. Third degree, you're going to the hospital. That's char. Yeah. You know? uh, no, th- no, thank you. So I, <laughs> it's, incredibly rare that I've even left a first degree burn. I, right. I go on the light side. That's what most people want. I'd have to really trust you to mark you. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that, that almost feels like a committed relationship. <laughs> that's, that's actually when it's happened. Yeah, when I'm pushing the envelope and we are agreeing that we're going to go a little farther than we usually do. Like tattooing or yeah, like it's, yeah. it's this marking that is bonding. Yeah. Same thing with knife play. I, I can, use a knife on someone's skin in a way that leaves no marks the next day whatsoever. Or we can agree that we're going to go a little farther and we're going to try not to scar, but it might scar. And then we're going to go a little farther maybe on another time where we're going to intentionally draw a scar uh, on there. Sorry. Right? <laughs> like, that's a lot for me. <laughs> oh, it, absolutely. It's a lot for me. I'm like, Ooh, okay. It's not something I would do on a first encounter, you know, right. which is interesting when you compare it to sex. Like one night stands, we do a lot of stuff in a one night stand. You know, that, that could violate consent. Right. In general, you mean like most people or are yeah. you talking about your own? Yeah. No, I'm do talking you, about in general. Yeah. Do you feel like I'm always curious about, OK, so you've sort of acquired all of this knowledge. What's it like dating for you? Do you even bother? Like, do you meet people out and you're like, well, I really like that person, but that I now I will be their teacher, you know, or. Yeah. I mean, you know, or do you are you kind of like laser focused on like, I'm just going to meet people in the community. I go. I go in cycles of this. Mm. Um, Part of it is there's a lot of learning curves when it comes to dating me because there's intersecting uh, alt sexualities and communities that I'm part of. 
And so even if I meet someone within one of those communities, that doesn't mean that we'll really connect on other levels. Like if I'm if I meet someone at a at a party like you described and they are in the Burning Man culture, that doesn't mean that they're going to fully jive with the BDSM scene that I'm also really part of. And and then uh and then there's political views that could differ, which <laughs> it's pretty important to me that we align on most general ideologies about things. And not every issue, but still, I don't want to be bickering all the time over yeah. politics. But do you have this feeling of like, um, right, so, you, so politics are important, but like maybe, like you just said, this person likes this, like this area of the things that you like but they're not say they're not into the bdsm thing but they say yeah whatever on tuesday nights you want to go to this party and play i don't care like is that enough for you or is it like oh i really i don't know i'm just personal <laughs> information I'm about totally comfortable discussing it yeah and, like been doing it for years i'm such an exhibitionist when it comes to actually performing on stage or just revealing the details of my sex life <laughs> uh it's become harder and harder. The filters have become much more strict over the years. Yeah. Um, my sexuality is so tied into uh, DS relationships. So if someone is indifferent, then that's potentially a big turnoff. Right. For me. It's not a turn on for you. So yeah. then it's like, why would I continue? I think it's it's interesting for me because I feel like I'm starting to turn that corner of like not being able to relate to as many people yeah. as I did, and um. And I feel like even, you know, recently I was dating someone and I feel like there were like little things that came up that were maybe like tender for him or like created emotional doubt in him. And I, I was like, okay, I'm willing to spend 30 minutes on this. And then I can't like, I can't keep explaining, you know, or, or yeah. like, I would love for you to see it, but I can't be the, I feel like it's almost like when black people are like, I'm not going to explain to you why I'm enduring. <laughs> was that, is that an error to go there? <laughs> <laughs> You're saying the face. I know. It's not somewhere I would go at the moment, I, but I've made those analogies in the past. Yeah, no, I what I mean I don't mean to say that it is the experience of what they've experienced by any means. I uh I just mean it's it's that idea of like you don't want to explain all the time, like when you have knowledge that other people are like you're like, read a book, here's some information, or experience it if you're really curious. To a degree, I've fetishized the mentorship process, mm -hmm. and that works for me as a dominant and as an educator and as a speaker. And so there's a degree to which I'm pretty comfortable with it. But then we often hit walls. And, you know, after two months, that's it. Like, we did what we were both comfortable doing, and now it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, or, well, I guess that's an interesting point, is, like, it's exciting to teach if that person's a willing student. Right. Right, Until they, and then when they start to be... It can go in you the know, other direction. wayward. You have to flog them. No, <laughs> <laughs> no actually, you know, I, slap on the wrists. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Stop misbehaving. <laughs> Lots of times, my main punishment is nothingness. Like, oh, you want me to spank you, but you're now acting up. I'm going to not spank oh, you now. Oh, <laughs> that's so much torture. Yeah, it's the worst. Wait, but I feel like you just hit on something that's like. This is why I found when I was learning more about the BDSM communities, what I found so fascinating is that people are already doing that in everyday relationships, right? Yeah. Like, like exiting the scene mentally when you're all of a sudden no longer stimulated or you're turned off by something about your partner. And then the other partner starts to act out because you're not giving them the thing that they want. And, you know, and essentially it's like poor communication. And, you know, whereas I really admire the BDSM community because you now have like a lens and vocabulary for understanding those choices that bring you in my mind, bring you closer to communicating more effectively or recognizing when you're ready to get out of the relationship or. I wish it was that simple. I see <laughs> everything as complicated and communication difficult. And with, with BDSM, especially if there are literal power exchanges going on where we agree that, I have more power in the relationship than you do. There's that's going to be conflated with gender. So yeah. so now you've got sometimes traditional roles playing themselves out, and it might be conflated with race too. It, like like I've had uh, female black submissive partners. There's a lot going on there that I have to be very aware of and careful of. And Communicative I, about. I know I've made mistakes in that realm because I just wasn't aware enough Blind of the issue. Blind spots. Yeah. But, but just in general, if you have a power exchange, it's kind of like 
kind of like your employer and an employee, if the employer says, I'd really like you to stay an extra 10 minutes, you're going to feel very compelled to say yes, even though you absolutely don't want to. You're going to complain to everybody. Can you believe that my boss told me to stay 10 minutes? I want to leave. And yet you say, yes, ma'am. Right, but right. I'll do that. And ho- yeah, and so you work towards ideally, like the ideal is that they communicate what they're actually feeling, but so often we don't. Yeah, I've been, ex- I've been exploring that one a lot lately, especially as I do more speaking engagements on consent in, in relationships like this weekend, actually with Jean from Cuddle Sanctuary and a few others, uh, Aaron Tillman and Cassie Brider, will be on stage talking about dating in the Me Too era. Yeah. And it covers a lot about Beautiful. consent. Beautiful. This is when is it? It's this Sunday at What's 2 the o'clock. date? That's February February 11th. 11th, right? Yeah. So 11 and in LA. In LA. Is it online anywhere? Like will it be broadcast? Yes, I believe it will be live streamed. Awesome. And so we'll anyway, I'll have the links to all your stuff so people who want to check it out. Once together. you once you conflate power in the situation, consent gets a lot trickier. Yeah. You know, th- that and, and in BDSM, it's, it, I don't think it's any simpler. We, we have more words, but sometimes the words can actually obscure the issue. Right. And, and, well, and maybe the person's still learning themselves, so they don't know yet. And then when something happens, they go, oh, I feel betrayed now, or that crossed a boundary that I didn't know I had. Yeah, and, and that gets into issues of like accidental violation of consent versus purposeful right and that can get really mixed up in a power dynamic there was a great article i saw recently that was addressing that issue of like how do you like how to communicate with an uncertain partner or like a less experienced partner or a like this idea of that fear around like you know certain partners will freeze and they don't they're not able to use their words when they're feeling afraid or they write this this issue that's coming up where it's like well why didn't you just elbow him in the gut right you know right and, and, and you're like well it's complicated right like why didn't that girl you know slap aziz on sorry and say like stop it you know and, and it's like well it's so layered and nuanced and like you were just saying this kind of desire to still please because in my mind i i thought it's there's some expectation that you've already put in your head so you keep trying to make it that even though it's not happening yeah, we always have expectations. I, I think people that say they have no expectations are actually deceiving themselves and, and their partner. Yeah, in every so the more you can articulate your expectation or the more you are honest about it early on going into it, then you, then you can, can at least start to more immediately recognize when that's not happening. I think the Aziz Ansari issue, you know, it's not a case in the sense that there is no criminal or civil issue there it's not being pursued even the even you know quote-unquote grace made it a point that she didn't call it sexual assault but she still said it's an issue and i and i think all the think pieces around it are incredibly important right now it's not even important the results of that particular case other than to a season grace that's it but to us as a as a culture it's just exploded with conversation and i think we're seeing it progressively go in that direction uh where each of these cases become a little less codified and authoritative. And we have to explore what we want our culture to be, not just, is it wrong? Did someone fuck up? You know, it's, it's yeah. Less about blame or maybe is that the wrong vocabulary? Like blame, maybe blame, you know, the cat call conversation was a big thing just a few years ago with that one video from New York. Do you remember who was in it? She I don't was just know walking the, name, the streets. But yeah, sure. She's just walking the streets and there was a debate about that. The hundred people that cat called her in that video and people saying, Is this okay? Is it wrong? I've seen a marked difference uh in, in the way at least people respond to the concept. Yeah. I'll see so that a- just remind me I had a really funny moment in Brooklyn in October and I was walking past this like warehouse facility and I I think I was dressed kind of fabulous. Oh, I, I, <laughs> as as usual. Thank you. I uh, no, I had a yes. Actually, I remember it was it was Halloween, and I and I ended up on this like bender of not making it home for three days <laughs> in this like ridiculous gold designer dress, like vintage. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this like vintage dress that it's on my Instagram, and uh, and uh, and I walked by, and this this like construction worker was like, 
you look fabulous but like said it in this like even voice was like wow like amazing dress or like wow looking good and i was just like thanks man you know? and it was but it, but to me it was it was that difference like it was so much less aggressive it was so much not demeaning it was like mean what you say like i just want you to know that you look really good i was like cool accepted I I share it because I feel like that was a shift I remember like in college in New York being like my friend and I totally had the walk of shame thing like in our club clothes from like the night before and we slept at someone's house and it's 8 in the morning it was like 7.30 in the morning and these guys were like yelling from this rooftop like yeah like wouldn't stop until we got into a taxi it was excessive and like it is aggressive it was like that's not fun that's not stop that line (laughs) is so hard to predict you know at this point I don't do any of that kind of random complimenting on the street or anything because it's I don't know how the other person's going to feel about it. Wow, interesting. I feel like I'm doing more of it now, but I think it's because of like because I'm doing so much cuddling, I have this like heightened empathy and connection to people. It like starts making me I'm like, you know, I don't I'm careful about like I don't touch people without asking. Right. That's all part of this consent thing, and I've learned to be more respectful of of that desire, but it I means definitely something connect different. more in a way. It means something different if I do it versus if you do it. Good point. You know, I have, you know, I have <laughs> oh, right. a pretty aggressive oh, yeah. look. I look like the enemy. And in a lot of ways, mm. demographically, I am. You know, when, when people look at me as a stranger, there's not instant trust there by any means. There's a certain look point. to you where I would be more trusting of you than a clone of myself. Right. No, we just discussed how I was going to a, like a commercial audition and I put on my outfit and was like, I look totally trusty, like trustworthy and adorable and everyone's going to pat me on the head. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm in my mint green sweater. Yeah. And, and those kind of stereotypes, those quick judgment calls that are, there's an element of stereotype to it. And then there's also instinctual. You know, yeah. People can feel certain things. Well said. And and those feelings are often valid. Yeah, uh, I think they are, they are, and I and it just makes me think of like how in my stand up I kind of use that to my, you know, uh, uh, what do I want to say to use it to my. I'm blanking on the word. Advantage. <laughs> yes, thank you. Advantage in terms of like flipping or surprising the audience by being more ribald or like more shocking or you know like that yeah. I'm not so innocent or that I'm not. You know what I mean? Or, or like that I'm naughty or misbehaved. Um, Isn't that Even the, though I think in my daily life, I probably am pretty, like you're saying, intuitively, like, mean well. And Yeah, I've been exploring that a lot lately of why... Because you obviously don't, looking at you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't mean well? <laughs> right, right, right. Like, you're obviously a menacing force. No, uh, I, I, That's I, a I hard could. call. You know, I, I've been really exploring just the behavior of my own eyes and how they affect other people. Ooh, interesting. Where I look in a room affects how people feel about me. If I just put my head down and look down, that will have a negative effect on a lot of people. I'm Intimidating. I'm looking at my own feet just sitting there. But why am I staring at my own yeah, feet? Yeah, they can't. Well, they can't trust that because they can't see your eyes. People want to read eye, eye I, language. Well, I'm eye reading. Um, I'm reading the Blue Zones of Happiness right now, uh, and that comes up in the book where one of the tenets of like bringing more happiness into your life is actually in from the research in this book was, you know, make yourself more likable, and I was kind of like, ooh, like you know, that's that's a dangerous like that could be misinterpreted, but right. but. I think it speaks to what you're talking about, which are like, what are these social cues that make people trust you? Um, like eye contact, like smiling when you come in the room or, you know, asking permission to sit next to someone or, you know, these kinds of things that just allow someone to say, oh, you have social graces or I can trust you. Yeah. So that's what you're, do you feel like that's. I've definitely researched some of that over the years. Um, just social communication and body language and tone of voice. Um, one of the one of the criticisms and sometimes insults that I receive on a fairly regular basis <laughs> is that I speak too authoritatively, mm. and I do. I'm a trained public speaker, right? And uh, it works well when you're on stage, but maybe interpersonally. E- even now, <laughs> even now on on this recording, I might be speaking too authoritatively at any given moment. It doesn't matter the words that I'm saying. It's the tone. It's the the pacing. It's maybe the certainty, even when I'm trying to soften it up, that's where I go to because of not only my training, but also uh, 
I wanted to be a priest. And they speak authoritatively. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. even as a child, my mother would encourage me to do uh, presentations to the class when I was five and six years old. Nobody else in the class had to give one, just me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So, right. That was your background, and that's what you've been yeah. built to. And then there's people who are drawn to that and appreciate it, and, then, and people who don't. Whereas if I spoke like this, it'd be very different vibe. <laughs> that was really good. That was really good. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I've think, been thinking about... Oh. You know what? Oh, I was just Please thinking about me. eye contact and body language and vocal tone in the current era and how it's being interpreted either by your own partner, you know, uh, this conversation, or maybe on the metro or a subway in New York or mm-hmm. something, or on a bus, and just the way that we are different personas all the time, and we kind of mix all these things up and reconfigure them based on the need of the moment. And I, I'm not really hearing too much of that conversation regarding uh, consent talks and BDSM. You know, if I am telling you, this is going to be safe, trust me, that's very different than, well, if you, if you feel like doing this, then maybe we'll give it a try. And maybe you might prefer the second one. Maybe the second one will make you feel more likely to speak up and say, I don't like it. Whereas the other one says, I feel like I can't say no to this. Challenging. <laughs> a bigger <laughs> thought for another time, I'm sure. It, it brings up, you know, memories. I think about that made me think about how um, in dating, when I'm confronted by men, I tend to be more attracted to that softer touch or like that passivity in a way that um, where where like the alpha male stereotype, if they kind of bulldoze and they're like, you're what I want, I'll immediately be like, uh-uh. <laughs> you know like it's almost like I, I feel challenged you know or yeah. I have these memories of like teasing a friend of mine who we we worked at the same restaurant he was bartending and this um you know kind of beautiful woman who gave like uh, I think a more of a mixed gender attraction off you know like that energy uh you know I teased him and was like oh I'm gonna get her number first you know <laughs> at this point I hadn't had any experience with women you know and, and he was just like what like no no you know and I was like uh-huh <laughs> you know <laughs> ran over and and it's and it, it just like gets my comp like competitive side going whereas if someone's like docile you know and is like wait you know kind of like just I don't know like it, it almost says to me like oh okay I that's like trust and then from there you can become authoritative but like that initial it's almost like you have to be the like little puppy that's like I'm here. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, oh, good. I can trust your, like, I don't know, self-control or something. Maybe it's a fear of being steamrolled. Oh, yeah. That verb keeps coming up recently, steamrolling. What? Yeah, regarding how somebody might say no, but it's a quote-unquote soft no, and then you steamroll right over the soft no. Yeah. Or maybe they just have some hesitance. Like, they go, yes. There's that question mark mm-hmm. at the end. I do of the that yes. a lot. I think I do that a lot. Do you want to do this thing? Yes. Okay, let's do it. That would be a form of steamrolling to a degree. Yeah. 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 I had like a mini epiphany the other day with someone I'm dating where I wondered if it was almost like he wasn't giving me the kind of like puppy love affection that I like yeah. in this like cuddle capacity where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm like a, you know, professional in it. I'm like, why are you like petting my head and just, you know, like, <laughs> like rubbing it all over me. That's yeah. all I want. Like, that's all I need actually. Like, don't even talk. Just be like, <laughs> there we go. You know, and we're like, yay. Um, and, and something came up for me. I thought, well, why did I pick this person or engage them? Mm. And it was this, something clicked in my head where I thought, from my, you know, this sort of stereotype of like reflecting on your past. And I thought my youth, I think, was really about my dad maybe challenging me to be strong. And that idea of like, I don't need these things. I'm not going to be weak. And, um, and so then I'm confronting an individual who doesn't have that natural capacity to like, just give me that what I want. And I think I'm like putting myself in these situations to like, almost replicate that idea of like, I can handle this. 
Mm. And I, and I share that only cause it, cause I want to share with these epiphanies with my audience or, you know, my listen, you know, Hey, Hey guys, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> that idea of, of like, what, you know, what are you replicating that isn't serving you? And I, and it, and to me it was this idea of like, Oh, I don't need to put myself in those situations anymore. Like actually I just want to get pet <laughs> at night before bed, you know, like I don't, I don't want to prove to myself that I'm that strong. Like it doesn't do anything. And so it was interesting to confront that with myself. It's part of the pendulum swing. Yeah. So much of what we do is pendulum swinging, not strictly from one side to the other, but kind of more in a circular direction for the extremes of the entire circle. We kind of pass right through the middle, off to the other side, off to another part, to another part, always on the edges of it, trying to find some kind of balance but I'm not certain that we would even be fulfilled by balance. Like I'm not a big right. believer in in achieving a stable balance. Well, by the way, my next thought was that this other person is also drawn to me, right? So then somehow we have this seesaw effect going where I'm pretty sure we're going to have a conversation soon, everyone. But, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure the seesaw, what's happening is there's an element of like he actually likes that about me and he wants to be able to do more of that but he's not comfortable with that, right? Mm. So then there's this, I'm pulling him this way, and then he's also pulling me to be a little bit more straight, right? Like my, you know, stand straight instead of, I'm just a little petty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always involved with multiple partners, and I can feel the pull in different directions, not only currently, but in every other partner I've ever had, affecting where I need to go next, and what I've already shaping experienced, your perspective, what and I want to go towards, yeah. what mm-hmm. I want to avoid. I feel like the f- the avoidance is sometimes more powerful than than the pursuit. Like um, the pursuit of something delicious versus something that's disgusting. I'm going to really run fast from the disgusting. I'm going to spit that out. You real mean fast. being able to articulate that more clearly? Like I know I don't want those. Yeah, really really being able to eliminate things I don't want. And that that goes back to the filtering that we were talking about in the dating pool where over the course of many years and many partners it adds up to where there's a lot of things I don't want and I know I don't want it. And I'm pretty strict about it. And yeah. it takes a lot for me to even slightly bend on the things that I don't want. Do you feel like it's helpful to write that and like stick it on your wall? Because I feel like I have things that are like no's and then I kind of forget. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I wasn't going to go for that because that's, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, they definitely change. And, I, and I've written it out before in different ways. And then sometimes those written things come back to haunt me. Like, mm. oh, that thing that you said four years ago that you'd never do, you kind of like that now. Yeah, I had a moment where I was sort of, I realized I was telling kind of old stories to this guy I was on a date with, and I, I, uh, it left him with this impression that I uh, didn't want to give. Like, you know, after, I mean, specifically, I was sort of like, oh, he's like, it was sort of all my like wild adventure stories. And I, I just think they're fun, right? So we're like yeah. laughing about it. And then, and then after he's like, okay, so you like fantasy relationships. Like, you know, he's, uh, yeah, he's sort of calculating in his head, like, where do I fit in this? Do I, do I, you know, is this like a booby trap? And then after I was kind of like, oh no, like I'm a trustworthy person. Like, no, I'm, you know, <laughs> I want to be in a relationship with you, you know? And uh, anyway, and it, and it pushed me to really reevaluate what am I presenting? And am I kind of playing an old tape? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That there's these moments of needing to update your files. Or software, you know, you're like, oh, I have new experiences and I'm not there anymore. And I'm, they still kind of give me the, like the thrill to share them. But I think the biggest thing that I've changed regarding all that is first date conversations. The first date conversations I'm having nowadays, they're so wildly different than five or 10 years ago. Ooh, yeah, me too. They're so dark and intense. Oh, really? Yeah. I wouldn't say mine are dark, but they're almost like more laser focused. Like... Um, like about like, what is it that you want in a relationship? Like, what are you looking for? Yeah. Yeah. We get into that, but a lot of them, like that's pretty much the first hour and <laughs> uh, just to see if we're even on the same page for next steps. Right. But I, I often tend to dig deep into the past, you know, into mm. childhood, into teenage years, into college years. How did those things shape who you are? That's, that's what I want to you know. Who are you deep down and how'd you get there? Beautiful. 
I don't think that we are stuck in our story like that, but it informs our story a lot. You know, if you're if you're trying to get up to the current chapter, I want at least a little preview of the earlier chapters. Yeah. Well, you can even say that the stories you choose to share in that moment are revealing about your most intense memories in a way, right? Like right. where your mind goes. I mean, so many things have happened in my life, but there when someone says something to me, which ones pop up first? Yep. Right. And, and, and why? So somehow that is my most important detail, right? Or even, you know, doing a show like this, it's like, and like you were talking about kind of this priesthood background or this desire, it's right. like, you know, how did I come to do the show? Well, in some ways I was sanctimoniously afraid of sex and, you know, I had a panic attack when the boy held my hand that I liked in high school and, you know, and they can go all the way back to how did I come to have like this touch anxiety and, I can relate to all that, yeah. Yeah, and well, and I think I'm also seeing how culturally a lot of us do. Yep. And then that that brings me to saying, well, I want to do something about that, and I want to be an agent of change. So, like, get in there! I'm gonna hug you all. <laughs> <laughs> an agent of change. Yeah, I like that language. Yeah. Thanks. Well, cool. We're gonna do some fire play, aren't we? That's the idea. <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank you for fulfilling that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're going to be using some 70% mint-flavored wintergreen alcohol, so it has a nicer smell than typical oh, rubbing alcohol. I love like all these little things I'm learning. I didn't even know it was an option. Yeah, it smells a lot better, unless you've already fetishized the smell of rubbing alcohol no. from, from putting it on like a leather spanking bench, which is over there in the corner. <laughs> God, whatever I got myself into. Uh, no, I'm I'm appreciative of the uh, of the play, and I and anyway, I'm gonna we're gonna make I'm gonna make little videos, and uh, and we'll put it together, and I'll just share it on our it'll be on our Patreon, maybe also our YouTube. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. I'm so excited. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah. Thank you for talking about your experiences. Um, again, you have an event happening on Sunday, February 11th, around consent. Yeah, dating in the Me Too era. You should be able to find it under that. It's being hosted by Geek Sextum LA, and Cassie Brider is the host to that with Erin Tillman, the dating advice girl. Oh, yeah, just had her on here. And <laughs> Jean from Cuddle Sanctuary. God, love these people. Uh, and then, uh, and you are on polytalks.com. That's, That's my site. main site that has most of my video content. There's about five six hours of content on awesome. there and, and a whole lot more going up soon yeah and people are finding i mean obviously polytox implies it's mostly about non-monogamy and right. different yeah. types of it yeah um is there videos also about this kind of play like fetish play that you do and stuff not that much oh, okay. no i i've pretty pretty much focused that on on non-monogamy which is there it? is intersection with this yeah. but it's not limited to bdsm and you're like, no, no, I just do that in my personal life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do it on stage. I do it in my personal life. Uh, sometimes I teach one-on-one uh, -on -one or classes. Um, but mostly I keep polytalks focused on non-monogamy, which is a rapidly growing demographic. Right. They both are. They both are. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right, guys. Well, this is TNA Talk Sex. I'm Christina. Because sex isn't ever just about sex, I hope you learned something new here. Um, ciao for now. Thanks for having me.